you. I'm always so mindful every week when I come to uh, prepare a message that God's Word is a living Word uh, and that He has a Word for His people here at Erina today that is fresh, uh, that is relevant to where we're at. Um, God's Word continues to speak. So as we look at this passage in James 2, 1 to 13, Holy Spirit, may you do your work and, uh, and um, unveil our eyes to what it is you would have us hear and understand this morning so that we may walk in accordance with the will and the ways of our loving Lord Jesus Christ. When he was a student the famous Indian leader, Mahatma Gandhi, considered becoming a Christian. He read the Gospels and was moved by them. It seemed to him that Christianity offered a solution to the caste system that plagued the people of India. One Sunday, he went to a local church. He had decided to see the pastor and ask for instruction on the way of salvation. But when he entered the church, which consisted of white people, the ushers refused to give him a seat. They told him to go and worship with his own people. He left and never went back. If Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. That tragic story illustrates the sin that James warns against in today's text. Now that James has completed his contents contents page of chapter 1, he begins drilling down into the areas he wishes to address. And right off the bat, he highlights the sin of showing favouritism towards the rich whilst despising the poor. Of course, James's words extend to any type of prejudice, whether it is based on economic status, on race, or in any other kind of difference. Here is a clear example of the mismatch between the people of God's faith and actions. You say you love and follow the God of justice, equity, and mercy... And yet you are despising the poor. It it just doesn't add up. As we will come to see, this is no minor issue as far as James or indeed as far as the rest of Scripture is concerned. In fact, I don't know what your Bible's like. If, like me, you have one of these reference Bibles with the little references down the side, uh, 12 out of the 13 verses in today's passage have cross-references, which is fascinating because it just, and so many of them are from the Old Testament. See, what James is talking about here is a biblical principle that's been in place from the very beginning of time. To favour some people and to disregard others based on outward factors, is a terrible sin that plagued the early church in James's day and sadly continues to plague the church in every subsequent generation. Favoritism stems from pride 
and pride is one of the most fundamental sins that there is. It's a little bit like a root sin, if you like, and there's so much that springs from that. Pride, in essence, says, I am better than you, or I know better than you. Pride finds its origin in Genesis chapter 3. And it's a primary reason why Jesus went to the cross. Verse 1 serves as a summary statement of all that will follow. And the reason that we are not to show favoritism is actually hinted at in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. This is one of only two references to the name of Jesus Christ, the other one being in chapter 1, verse 1. And so it should indeed capture our attention. James, as you will recall, once a sceptic, once an unbeliever, is now a firm believer that Jesus Christ is not just his half-brother, which he won't even mention, but he is Lord, and he is seated at the glorious right hand of the Father, in all of his glory. By focusing our attention on Jesus Christ and his glory, James addresses the problem of favoritism in two ways. First, he gets us to see right away how petty our earthly distinctions are between rich or poor or any other kind of distinctions we make. Even the most powerfully rich people on this world, in this planet, are nothing compared to the riches and majesty of the glory of the risen Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, everything that we are and have comes from the sovereign hand of the Lord. And he alone is the only one worthy of praise, of exaltation, When we esteem others on account of their wealth or power or status, we rob glory from Jesus Christ. Rather than exalting those who are rich and powerful and influential in this world, we are to exalt and honour those at the name of Christ, who alone is deserving of glory and worship. Focusing on the glory of Christ puts us all in our proper place before him. Second, when James attributes glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and immediately there is an image of Jesus being risen and glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, it is likely or probable that James has the second coming and the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ in mind. James will mention judgment at the end of his argument, heeding his listeners to be mindful that they themselves will one day give an account before Jesus Christ. You see, before the glorious Lord, all of us stand equal. We are all sinners saved by grace. 
James then commences his case in verse 2 by illustrating with a hypothetical scenario. Chances are this kind of scenario may very well have happened. Nevertheless, two men come into a church gathering. One is obviously wealthy as seen by his gold ring, not just a wedding ring, but think of the ring in Luke 15 where the father welcomes the son back and one of the ways of honouring the son is by putting a ring on his finger. It's a symbol of wealth and it's a symbol of influence. And the other man is poor and this is seen by his shabby clothes we have one man who is finely dressed he is wealthy he is influential he is powerful we have one man who is uh, coming in looking like a very ordinary poor citizen and someone in the church directs the wealthy man to the best seat in the house whereas the poor man is told to stand out of the way or sit on the floor the rich man is given privileges because of his wealth The poor man is despised because of his poverty. And such treatment, says James, is evil. That is a strong word. Now, we would be mistaken to conclude that James is saying that the rich are categorically bad and that the poor are categorically good. Some people are very rich and very godly. Some people are very poor and very evil. James's point, however, is that any judgments based on outward factors alone are wrong because they don't get to the heart of a person. They don't discern what's inside. And only God can judge a person's heart. So we are wrong if we take his place as judge. The early church had very quickly adopted the patterns, practices and values of its surrounding culture. According to James, this is a sham because it completely ignores the egalitarian tone of the gospel, namely that all people are created equal in the image of God, that all people have inerrant dignity and value. The makeup of the church ought to completely baffle and perplex the world. Even though historically the church has sadly fallen oftentimes well short of God's vision. God's vision and intention for the church is that it would be a collection of men, women, boys and girls from varying backgrounds, races, economic and social levels who can come together in a spirit of unity and love and harmony because of Jesus Christ. James then goes on to offer three reasons why favoritism or partiality is wrong. Number one, it wrongly seats us in the place of judge, which is God's place alone. Number two, it aligns us or you with God's enemies, those who are oppressive. And thirdly, it violates 
the golden rule, the golden law of loving your neighbour as yourself. Let's just walk through each of these points and pull out what the scriptures say. Verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, favoritism is wrong because it sets us in the place of judge. When we make distinctions among people based on outward factors, we set ourselves up as judges on our own thrones, as those who have evil motives and thoughts, James says. Now, Scripture teaches that God judges a person based on what's in their heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. We can't see the hearts of people. Only God can. Therefore, to judge someone based on their outward appearance is not only to take the place of Christ as the ultimate judge, but it's actually making an incorrect or a false judgment in the first place. Although there is no intrinsic merit in poverty, poor people who, you may recall, were certainly a large majority in the time that James writes, often realise how short life is and thus see their need for eternal life more readily than rich people do. You can just imagine, can't you? The poor person living in poverty who struggles through each day. The riches of eternity in Christ sounds wonderful because if my condition here on earth is this, well, then I can't wait for something else. Whereas for those who are so wealthy and rich in this life, the appeal of the next life isn't as compelling, is it? This is the context to which James writes. You might recall week one, we spoke about the fact that there was no middle class. (laughs) You really had the majority of people living well below the poverty line and a minority, maybe 8 to 10%, who were exceedingly wealthy and rich. Now again, I think this is why the local church can really baffle because we see that in the church that James writes to, there is indeed rich and poor. The fact that these people can be in community together for a start is one thing. It's a wonderful thing. But then how do they relate? How do they get along? The posture of the person who is impoverished is a posture that is more ready and open to receive the goodness and the grace of God. It is not a self-sufficient posture. It is a posture that is open and dependent to the grace of God. James continues and will continue to stress this point again. And clearly he is drawing on Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Such people, according to Jesus, James's brother, are blessed, not cursed. James stresses this point again in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him? I love that phrase, to be rich in faith. What a powerful description. 
While society tells you to become rich in material wealth, the Bible says that true wealth is to have a rich faith. Now, in order to prioritize pursuing and having a rich faith, we need to put on the God lenses. And we do that by asking God for his wisdom, which, as James reminds us, he will give generously to all who ask. Think for a moment about how God chose to send his son into the world. He chose Mary, a poor, unmarried Jewish teenage girl, to be his mother. And Jesus was born in a stable, wrapped in rags, surrounded by animals. Is this not the epitome of poverty? And this is the saviour of which the church has given its allegiance to. In Luke 1, 52, 53, Mary magnifies God with these words. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. God chose to reach the world from the bottom up. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. Subsequently, Jesus always seemed to have a soft spot for the unimportant, the vulnerable, the forgotten ones. We, as his church, are to take our cues from him, not the surrounding culture. That being said, I am just so mindful of how easily I can adopt the patterns of this world. And I am so mindful of how easily the church can mirror the patterns and behaviours and standards and values of the world. It creeps in. And as we see right here in Scripture, it's been happening right from the very beginning, from the very origin of the church. I don't have an answer to this. But we need to keep humbly coming before God and seeking his forgiveness and repenting of the times that we allow the the values of the world to dictate the values of the church. So James's first argument is that favoritism toward the rich and against the poor or partiality based on any external factors is wrong because it places us in the seat of judge which is God's place alone. Secondly, favoritism is wrong because it aligns you with God's enemies verses 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James is not teaching that the church should ignore or despise the rich because of their riches. That would be reverse discrimination. It's not what he's saying. The church should show God's love and grace to all people at 
all times, whether rich or poor. Rather, he is saying that the church should not give preferential treatment to the rich at the detriment of the poor in an attempt to gain their money and their influence. The Old Testament repeatedly emphasises that God is concerned for the rights of the poor, as I just mentioned. We see this tangibly expressed in Jesus' life and ministry. So James's point here is that if you give preferential treatment to those who are rich, then you are aligning yourself with the very people who are being oppressive to the poor. And therefore, you are aligning yourself with God's enemies. James was particularly addressing the problem of showing partiality to the rich and disregarding the poor, but his words clearly apply to partiality based on any external factors. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Verse 9, it seems very clear. And yet where James is going to go is fascinating because we in the church have a tendency to congratulate ourselves for not committing the big sins. <laughs> we commit the small sins and we would consider partiality to be one of those small sins, particularly in the light of murder or adultery. But this is no small sin according to James. And James's teaching is just as relevant for the church of today as it was for the church of his day, is it not? Thirdly, favoritism is wrong because it violates God's law of love. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right but if you show favoritism you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you have become a lawbreaker here's the flow of thought to show partiality violates the second great commandment of God's law, to love your neighbour as yourself. To break God's law is sin, and to break even one part of God's law is to break the whole law. Since God's law is the standard by which all people will be judged, we need to live in the light of that coming judgment, especially by showing mercy to the poor. Now, James chooses to single out Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbour as yourself. This golden rule, this golden law, finds its origin not on the lips of Jesus. It's actually found so much further back. And it's to be a distinctive of God's people. Now, interestingly, just prior to verse 18, in verse 15, 
Moses wrote this, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So part of biblical love for one's neighbor includes treating all people fairly and impartially. James would have made a brilliant law attorney because he is always one step ahead of his listener and he predicts the kind of response that they might have and addresses it. And we see him doing this. We see that the church is squirming of wanting to get away from the criticism that he is holding them to, the guilty verdict. And he, uh, he imagines them saying something to the effect of, well, okay, maybe we've not treated everyone fairly and equally, but really, is it that big a deal? After all, we haven't been committing adultery. We're not murderers. We keep the important laws, even if we haven't always treated the poor as we should. Anticipating such a response, James continues, to violate God's law on any level is a serious matter. And don't dismiss favoritism as no big deal. It is a big deal, just as committing adultery and committing murder are big deals. It's a very sequential line of thought. Favoritism is wrong because it wrongly seats us in the place of judge. It aligns us with God's enemies and it violates God's golden rule or law of love. Finally, James insists that we must speak and act as those who will stand before God one day in judgment. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you claim to know Christ but do not show mercy to those who are needy, then your declaration is worthless. There are plenty of parables that Jesus told which I'm sure James has in mind, that in essence suggests that when we come to stand before God, if we have not shown mercy towards others, then mercy will not be shown toward us. James is giving a clear warning to his readers, do not be found in this place. Showing mercy to others, however, demonstrates that we are recipients of God's mercy. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, he did not mean that we earn or merit mercy by showing it to others. Mercy, by definition, is undeserved. It's unearned. Rather, mercy flows to others from those who have received it from God and they in turn will then again receive mercy from God at the final judgment. Mercy is to dictate the way we live our lives and the way we treat others. Mercy flows from God through us to others and the final outcome will be Mercy will triumph over judgment when we stand before God. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, the Apostle Paul makes this beautiful gospel statement, which I think perfectly fits 
and summarises today's message. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Christ traded his uh, riches of righteousness for our rags of sinfulness. May we heed the teaching of James by rejecting the practice of treating others based on their outward appearances. And conversely, may we truly know and understand the grace that Christ extended to us and allow that to be the driving force behind how we treat other people. Amen. Just reflecting on what Joel's was has just um presented.